When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Roddy takes the snap. He'll look to the right side. He's throwing deep again, going to the end zone, up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos! Adarius Bowman! Hey, that's three! From Carpat and Finland, Getty, Porter Jarvie. He takes the snap, and J.C. Sherritt goes over the top. The Eskimo defense has done it! win the football game. It is short. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. We have a medal for an Edmontonian in Rio. Jen Kish, the captain of the Rugby Sevens team. Winning bronze today, beating Great Britain 33-10. What a match that was. Loved watching that sport over the weekend. They played two matches in a day. Canada losing out in the semifinal, but getting another shot in the bronze game, and they beat Great Britain 33-10. little revenge there because Great Britain beat Canada 22-0 in their pool game yesterday. Awesome stuff. Big day in uh, Rio for Canada. A chance for some more medals in the pool tonight. We'll keep an eye on all that. Thanks a lot for tuning in. It is 6.07. Reed Wilkins with you. It's Inside Sports on 6.30. Chet and uh, man, the uh, Canadian team taking control of that Rugby Sevens match today leading 26-5 at the half and then uh, uh, you know, obviously not as much scoring in the second half but they already had done most of the damage. That, if you were watching that they uh, actually changed the timing of the matches for the medal games. All the other matches were uh, two seven-minute halves. These ones were two 10-minute halves in the bronze and the gold. So a great moment there for Canada. Great moment on the basketball court as well. Kia Nurse had 25 points as Canada picked up a 71-67 win over Serbia in women's basketball. Canada trailed by 18 points in the third quarter. They trailed by 12 going to the fourth, and they were able to chip away and come back. Little Edmonton note there. Catherine Plouffe played 12 minutes and 54 seconds, had a couple of points, an assist, and two rebounds. So Canada now 2-0 in that tournament, and uh, they'll try to keep rolling in that. Next up, they play Senegal on Wednesday. Canada ranked number nine in the world. Should be heavily favored against Senegal. They are ranked number 24. Then some tough ones to close out. Well, not to, I mean, look, Senegal, you got to go out there and play, but certainly on paper, tougher matchups to conclude the round robin. Number one, United States on Friday. Number three, Spain on Sunday. But a big gut test for the Canadian women today, and they are able to get it done. We'll talk a little bit more about the uh, Canadian women's basketball team with Scott Edwards. He's the head coach of the U of A Pandas, and in his league play in Canada West, frequently goes up against Lisa Tomitis, who's coaching the Canadian women's team. And, of course, uh, 
big Edmonton connection there. That this is the, the the home base for the team. So that's awesome stuff. We'll talk some volleyball later on. The Canadian men are back in the tournament for the first time since 1992, and a historic victory, an upset over the United States yesterday as well. As always, you can chime in. Let me know what you think. Whether you want to talk uh, Olympics whether you want to talk some Eskimos, and we will focus on them through the uh, most of the first hour of the show tonight, and then Morley Scott has the Eskimos show from 8 to 9. You can text 630-630. You can also call in 780-496-0063. Before we talk a little bit about the Ottawa game, there is some Eskimos news today. First of all, they have made a trade. Alex Ogbongbamiga acquired from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in exchange for defensive tackle Gregory Alexander. Ogbongbamiga is uh, a linebacker, probably will uh, help out on special teams. He was selected by the Riders in the third round of this draft. He did make his uh, CFL debut uh, last month. Born in uh, Nigeria, played with the Calgary Colts of the Canadian Junior Football League last year. Also, some more moves. The Eskimos have uh, released defensive back Dion Balu, who... Um, you know, had been relegated to uh, the bench and, and uh, hadn't done that well when he did play. And the Eskimos sign a couple of defensive backs. First of all, Brandon Thompson, who spent the last two seasons with the Ottawa Red Blacks. He'd done pretty well. He had 99 tackles and, more importantly, seven interceptions. They also bring in Demetrius Wright, who spent some time last season with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and attended the Calgary Stampeders training camp this season. Certainly Thompson, a more accomplished Canadian Football League player and uh, the Eskimos still need help in that secondary points allowed 23 all right that's that's a lot better um, I, I still thought there were too many guys coming open in the secondary Ottawa had a long pass wiped out when Jason Moss made the smart challenge because uh, it wasn't actually caught and the replay showed that the ball came loose when the receiver hit the ground and let's face it the Ottawa Red Blacks made tons of errors in that game. They had a couple of... I mean, even the interception Sherritt got, and great play by Sherritt, but Chris Williams kind of gave up on the play. Victim of a funny bounce. Eskimos took advantage, but Ottawa missed a lot of chances. They took tons of penalties, and the Eskimos could not capitalize, and that is becoming the story of their season. Uh, A team that so often figured it out whatever you want to call it, found a way, had the resilience, had the patience to win tons of close games last year, including the Grey Cup against Ottawa, now coming up on the unhappy side of those results. So I want to hear your thoughts on that as we move along as well. But here's how it went Saturday night in the nation's capital. Burris takes a drop, looks, throws, man open. This will be a touchdown for the Red Blacks. Burris waits for the snap. Takes a deep drop, pressure's coming. Burris gets it away, but it goes incomplete. Or do the Eskimos have it? It bounces up in the air, and J.C. Sherritt has it. Did that hit the turf? Sherritt, struggling, gets to the end zone. The ruling on the field is confirmed by replay. We have a touchdown. Touchdown Eskimos. Burris drops back, waits, looks, runs a bit, then throws, and that's a touchdown for Ottawa's. Williams makes the reception. Riley starts the motion. Takes the drop, waits, throws, and he's going downfield, and it's intercepted. It's picked off at the 40-yard line by Robinson. He'll come back the other way across the 50, the 45, the 40, the 30. He'll cut to the outside now and gets hauled down by Darrell Walker. Ball is up. 
and it is through. And with a minute and 31 seconds to go, the Ottawa Red Blacks have a 23-20 lead. The ball goes to Riley. He'll drop back and throw, and he's going deep down the field, and it will be incomplete. And that was it, 23-20. Ottawa taking it over the Eskimos. They sweep the season series with the green and gold. Remember, they had that overtime win on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium back in week one. Uh, look, um, obviously when you're watching a team, you're in the process of evaluating them. And as much as every season is different, what happened last year does factor into this year's evaluation, whether it's right or not. Well, I, I at least I feel pretty comfortable saying last year is dead and buried. And there doesn't appear to be much carryover from what the Eskimos were able to do in 2015. A lot of players are back. Now, they lost some big players, and they lost John Ojo to injury in training camp, but the ability of this team to seize games at the right moment has pretty much gone out the window. They don't make enough plays on defense. They don't get enough pressure on the quarterback. And now something has happened that I didn't think was going to happen, and that is the offense has become quite stagnant and might be able to drive the ball for a limited length of time but, hey, the offense did not score a touchdown. The offense did not score a touchdown against the Ottawa Red Blacks on Saturday. The O-line has not looked the same really since Justin Sorensen went out. Um, I, I, still, I, I still like what Jason Moss is trying to do offensively. I think they're running a, a larger variety of plays. I think they're pushing the ball into different parts of the field when it comes to the passing game. Uh, but the but the run game has just dissolved into next to nothing. John White had nine carries for 33 yards against Ottawa. They went to him a bit early and then pretty much went away from it later on in the game. And let's let's face it, everybody. There are nine teams in the Canadian Football League, and everybody you know pokes fun. Well, it's so easy to make the playoffs in the CFL. Guess what? It ain't going to be easy for the Edmonton Eskimos because right now, at best, at best, they're the seventh best team in the CFL. At best, they might be eighth. And and they're going to play another team in that bottom three on uh, Thursday. That's when the Montreal Alouettes come to town. 5.30 for the pregame show. Kickoff right here on seven, at 7 uh, on 6.30, Chet. All right, I want to hear from you as well. 780-496-0063. You can also text in to 6.30-6.30. We're moving along. Monday night, Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. You're listening to 6.30 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, the Toronto Blue Jays in action tonight. They lead Tampa Bay 2-1 in the top of the fourth at Rogers Centre. Your scoreboard presented, as always, by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. Don't forget, 7 o'clock first pitch tonight over at the Edmonton Ballpark. The Edmonton Prospects must win to keep their season alive in the Western Major Baseball League. They trail Medicine Hat two games to one in their best of five division final. We were uh, updating you on game one in Medicine Hat on Friday. We had Prospects owner Pat Cassidy on the show. Medicine Hat won it one nothing. The Prospects came back with a game two win, 3-1. And then last night here in Edmonton, Medicine Hat outscoring Edmonton 9 
seven. So big game coming up there tonight. If you missed it as well, a medal for the Canadian women rugby's sevens team. Edmonton's Jen Kish is the captain. They won bronze, beating Great Britain 33-10. Reed Wilkins with you, 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Here's a text signed from Riders fans everywhere. Misery loves company. I'm grateful the Esks are horrible. Well, I'm not surprised to hear that, given the rivalry between the two teams. The uh, Rough Riders look to me like a team that's doing a lot of things right, but I wonder if they're going to lose a lot of games in the fashion they did uh, to the Calgary Stampeders last week, where they're able to hang around, but in the end they don't quite have the horses. I I think they're going to be good. I mean, we know what Chris Jones has done in this league. He's got his whole coaching staff that was successful here in Edmonton the last couple of years. Darren says the most frustrating trend with the Eskimos is the absolute lack of pressure on the opposition's quarterback. Zero stunts, rare blitzes have removed all unpredictability. Not a big fan of our defensive coordinator. That is from Darren. All right, Darren, first of all, excellent point. And I was thinking about some of that earlier today. I was talking, uh, uh, I went golfing today, and I was talking Eskimos with with a couple of the guys I was playing with. So I, I guess, first of all, uh, do you look at? Uh, we'll focus on the defense, I suppose, because it's pretty much been criticized in every game to some extent or the other. When when you look at, at the Eskimos' defense, do you say to yourself, "This is a team that doesn't have the talent on defense," or this is a team that um, is is being out schemed, out coached, out game planned on defense? Um, now, the the it can obviously be a combination. Darren thinks that they're being outcoached when it comes to what Mike Benavides is doing. I think Mike Benavides has, for the most part, been calling a relatively simple defense. Maybe I shouldn't say simple, but but Darren's right. There have not been a lot of blitzes, and there has not been a lot of stunting from the defensive line. And I was thinking about that today, specifically with the stunting or the twists or whatever you want to call them. It's been the same four guys kind of coming in the same four lanes at the quarterback and basically trying to get there as quick as they can or overpower their counterpart on the offensive line to get to the quarterback. Sure, that is going to work sometimes. It's not going to work all the time. And it certainly hasn't been working enough for the Eskimos. And if you look at specifically, I mean, what happened against Ottawa or against uh, Hamilton and Winnipeg? Short passes, pick away, not a lot of variety from the offense, and the Eskimos couldn't stop it. So is Mike Benavides not blitzing more because um, he, he I, I think part of the reason he's not blitzing more is because the coverage hasn't been good and he's felt like he's had to drop eight guys. Having said that, you still have to find a way to get pressure. So maybe that's sometimes bringing an extra linebacker. Maybe that is sometimes doing a twist, lining up guy a guy in an unconventional area. And as you guys know, I've had Tony, Bat- uh, sorry, DeAnthony Batiste and Tony Washington in studio twice. They're Eskimos offensive linemen. I had them in the offseason, and I had them after the win over Winnipeg. And they said under Chris Jones... They would go into practice saying, what is he going to come up with this week? And and the defense would work on those blitzes in practice against the Eskimos offense. 
and the O-line would say to themselves, well, whatever our opposi- the opposition does to us this week won't be as complex, as difficult, as confusing, whatever word you want to use, as what our own coach was throwing at us in practice. 780-496-0063, and pleased to welcome Matt from Section O back to the show. How's it going, Matt? Hey, Reed, can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Good. So um, I had a phone call that obviously didn't go over, so wasn't received so well in the points after show about basically how I said that the Eskimos being two and four aren't really two and four. Now, I've listened to that call a bunch of times, and I've gone back and I've rewatched the game, and I rewatched the game against Winnipeg, and it kind of led me to believe this little conspiracy theory here. And don't laugh when I say this, but do you think that when Mike Riley got hit by John Chick against Hamilton that he got hurt? Because that, if you notice, is when the drop in the offense really started to happen. In the second half, the Eskimos couldn't do anything. They couldn't put points on the board. And then you have the two games that follow thereafter. Do you think Riley is disguising or hiding an injury from the coaches? Or do they not have faith in Franklin or Lynch to put Riley on the bench for a game? Do you think Riley's hurt, which could facilitate this drop in the offense? Uh, I think he's banged up, but I don't think he's injured. I think if he were actually injured, he wouldn't play. And I think he understands that, too, that if he actually needed to play, that if he actually needed to sit out a game, he'd have to do that to help the team. Well, this is the same Mike Riley. And granted, it's a different situation. I don't know if you can compare apples and oranges, where he pretty much played on a wooden leg against the 2004 West Final. Uh, Yeah, you're right. I mean, well, if he is hurt, I don't think it's that bad. But, I mean, he's definitely definitely taking some shots. He was playing with a cut on his head. I don't know how much of this I chalk up the quarterback play. I think he's missed some throws. Um, But but clearly uh, the offensive line hasn't been as good. And quite frankly, the receivers hasn't haven't been as sharp either. I, I I don't pin a lot of it on Riley, though he didn't have his best game on Saturday. No, no, I wouldn't put all of it on Riley. But if you notice, though, he's getting the ball away really quickly. Almost that. Well, mind you, if you take, I think it was four roughing the passers against Ottawa, you'd want to get the ball off quickly, knowing that your offensive, you're missing Sorensen from your offensive line, and then they're kind of letting guys through. But it's going to be interesting to watch how we attack Montreal now. So is Riley going to start scrambling some more? Is he going to hang back in the pocket and go through his progression some more? It's going to be really interesting to see. And I think for myself, that's where I'm going to come to a conclusion. If he's actually hurt, because in my mind, and I've had this conversation with my buddies, and I put the question out on Twitter, and people have responded well to it, I do believe that Mike Riley is hurt. Now, like you said, we can't put it all on Riley. If Daryl Walker, Darryl, if Darrell Walker catches that gimme pass on second down at the end of the game, I do believe Sean White's able to tie it up. So, yeah, he should have had it. He should have caught yeah. it. But they're not executing sure. enough. They're not no. executing enough, Matt. You're right. You're right. Because if you look at it, we put up what I think was 37 points against Ottawa, uh, 30-something against Saskatchewan, and then we drop down a little bit against Winnipeg. And then all of a sudden, it's just it's just they've completely fallen off the cliff. And I called in last week, and I said, if the defense doesn't pick up, hit the panic button. But the defense came to play. Mind you, they got burnt on a couple of plays where they got jammed up. But for the most part, I think the defense played an okay game. Enough so that the offense could have won it for them. But unfortunately, the offense in this 
in this game, ironically, kind of didn't bail out the defense. We had four roughing the passer penalties, and we got zero points off them. Yes, I agree. The right? the offense yeah. didn't do enough, and and I looked up the yardage because I know on Saturday night you were talking about they're still getting a lot of yards. They were outgained against Ottawa, four hundred three to three hundred four. Oh man! And the Eskimos have the fourth most yards in the CFL this season. So that's okay, but in a nine-team league, it's not great. And clearly it's dropped off the last few games. As I mentioned earlier, I know you're probably working, so you didn't hear the top of the show. John White only rushed for 33 yards on, on Saturday. So, look, Yeah, but that's across the league. Running backs aren't touching the ball True, there's less, there's less passing. Look, Matt, yeah. I, I want to I directly address a couple things on Saturday that upset me at the time, and I've, I've given you the opportunity to call in here. Uh, and I don't want to squabble with you on Twitter. I, I just I just didn't like the fact that you went after the Riders. The Eskimos being ahead of the Riders, I think, is a small victory at this point in the season. Um, and, I, and, I, and I know I do it sometimes. I know you do it. But I don't know if this is the time to be trolling the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So that's that was one note there. The other thing I want you to remember about the, the call against Ottawa in Week 1, and I, I know you're often working during the show, but I talked to someone with the CFL who's pretty high up and you're smart enough to be able to guess who it is about that kerfuffle on that field goal and this person said Ottawa absolutely should have been able to run that play Andre Prue screwed up by blowing time in too early he wasn't paying close enough attention to the sidelines to realize that they were substituting and this person with the league says it was handled clumsily but in the end, the right thing made. So I just don't want you to put that on the officials. I mean, we got to think bigger picture here for the Eskimos. They're not losing games because of the Zebras. 37 points in that game, though, should win you. You know what? I'll give it to you. But 37 points in that game should have won the Eskimos the football game. Yes. Nobody's going to disagree on that. Context behind trolling the riders. I'm not looking at shots to troll the riders at any chance I get. But the thing I was comparing it to, and and, and I think it got lost in the phone call there because I was pretty angry that we lost our third straight, is we're not in a crisis. And this is the thing that people need to realize. The Eskimos are not in crisis mode. We still have one of the best offenses in the league. That's why at the time of the call, and then I look back on it now, I believe something is wrong injury-wise, with Mike Riley. But but people are calling that the Eskimos are a dumpster fire on defense. They've been a dumpster fire the last couple of games on offense. That's why I pose the question to Dave. Would you rather be the 2-4 and four Eskimos or the 1-5 and five Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Well, I'd, I rather, think... I'd rather be the 4-2-1 and one Ottawa Red Blacks or whatever they are. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I just, to me, I, I, don't, I don't make that comparison. I, I, I mean... I've covered bad teams. I've covered good teams, and you know what I do all winter, right? So I don't know if splitting hairs like that between teams at the bottom of the standings is is something I want to get into. So I guess we'll we'll have to respectfully disagree on that one. Matt, I got a break for the news. I appreciate that you called, and I appreciate that we were able to be civil to each other tonight. Last thing I got to say: we're two and four on paper, just like when the Esks were four and fourteen in two thousand and three. Or 2013, they were not a four and thir- they were not a four and whatever I can't four and fourteen team on paper that year either. But anyway, uh, we're gonna hang. I told Dave we're gonna hang forty on Montreal on Thursday. If we don't, come at me Twitter. All right, I hope he's right. We're back after the news.
This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. We'll take a closer look at some of the Olympic stories later on tonight. You're going to hear from Brock Davidock, former national team member for the Canadian men's team. He'll tell you what's going on uh, in the volleyball world. Canada, huge upset over the United States yesterday. Scott Edwards, Panda's basketball coach, will tell you how Canada has got to 2-0 in the women's tournament in Rio, including an 18-point comeback this afternoon against Serbia. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. 2-2 now, Blue Jays in Tampa Bay. The game is in the bottom of the fourth. You can always text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Matt from Section O called in. Appreciate that he did. Uh, I uh, I told him I wanted him to do it on Saturday night because I uh, didn't, uh, didn't like some of the content of his uh, phone call after the game. Yakushev. Loyal listener and texter. Hi, Yakushev. Says, what a, a contradictory loudmouth. Is Matt from Section O or Section Zero? <laughs> well, Matt always uh, gets you feeling one way or the other. So I know how Yakushev feels. Love you, Yakushev. Uh, Mark says, uh, that's not the reason the Eskimos aren't blitzing. If you remember last year, all the games they beat Calgary was the defense dropping eight into coverage. Yeah, they blitzed it more as a whole, though. Last year, I thought they've been doing this year, and they got more pressure on the quarterback. This texture says, if Riley gets rid of the ball in two seconds, the O-line will get a break. The D-line can't come like gangbusters. Then the run game gets a chance. Always looking to go deep or taking three to five seconds to get rid of the ball is a point killer. Ricky Ray had the same problem, and it always gets blamed on the O-line. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I see that point, but I, I don't know if I'm all in on that one. Um, just because, I, I, I mean, the Eskimos do run some quick hitters. They do have some passing plays that take a little longer to develop, to develop for sure when you got Bowman doing a double move or dragging across the middle, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I think they mix it up enough, and I think they need that, that old line to hold a little better, my opinion. We have Alan on the open line. Hey, Alan. Hey, Reed, how you doing today? Doing great. Just wanted to comment slash ask you a question here. What do you uh, think about the experience of Jason Moss? Do you think that has anything to do with the shortcomings of the Eskimos? I think it might, yeah. I mean, he was he was a coordinator last year, and, and I still I, I still don't mind the way he's calling an offense. I, I think this team needs to be more detailed. Now, as I mentioned off the top, there's there's a line here between the coaching and a drop-off in talent from last season. The the one play I'm going to point out from uh, from Saturday, do you remember when Kenzel Doe let that punt bounce into the end zone? It went two yards deep, and then he picked it up and tried to run it out? Yeah. Now, I, if maybe he had a brain cramp, but the coach has to prepare the guys – like, by week six, you should know that's an automatic kneel down, that you don't try to take it out unless the game's tied in the last three minutes, right? Yeah, I so, agree. So now I'm one, that made me wonder, has this coaching staff as a whole, whether that was Jason or the special teams coach or even fellow players sometimes, have they made sure to tell Kenzel Doe, 
you know what? A rouge in the first half isn't going to kill us. We want the ball on the 35, not on our two. Now, that didn't hurt them because they got the P.I. on Walker and they got it out of there, right? But, yeah, yeah I, I think... I think Jason Moss is a rookie head coach. I, I don't equate rookie with bad um, because I think Jason Moss is a smart guy. And even when he played, a lot of people said he's going to coach someday. So I, I do think he has an affinity for the job. Um, but I but I think like a, like a lot of people, when you do something for the first time, that's often when you, you, you struggle the most. So I do think this team needs to be a more detailed team and I think a lot of times making sure those details are emphasized does fall on the coach. Right on, yeah, Coach Thanks Ez. What, what do you think, Alan? Well, I don't know. I think uh, I think he didn't have very much experience being the guy calling the shots. I mean, only one year as an offensive coordinator, and I think maybe they put him in over his head a little bit. That's what I think. Alan, I appreciate your calling, man. Enjoy the game on Thursday. Thanks, Reed. All right, 780-496-0063. Yeah, look... I, I mean, that's a great question by Alan. And and generally, I am not one of those guys that when a team loses, uh, I eventually want to throw the coach under the bus and change. That that's just it, it's not my personality. It's not the way I've ever really watched sports. Um, maybe I'm too patient sometimes with coaches, um, but I, I I think there are some people on the other extreme where a team loses a few games and they want to torch the whole coaching staff and and start over. That especially doesn't happen a lot in football when there's so much prep and philosophy and everything that goes into training camp. Um, so, I mean, we'll see how the next couple of games go. This is a team that obviously has to correct some things. And it's not just about, it's not just about trying harder. Right? I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to address the personnel. I'm glad Hervey didn't sit on his hands. He went out and brought in a couple defensive backs today. He made a trade for a linebacker who's probably going to play on special teams. So I, I'm glad uh, those things are happening. Uh, you know, now, yeah, sure, some other things got to get cleaned up as well. You can text 630-630. Oilers Brad says the Eskimos need an upgrade on punt kickoff return. I miss Kendall Lawrence. Ken Dial. Ken Dial's in Saskatchewan. Um, well, McKnight, uh, Joe McKnight got sent to the practice roster because he fumbled what did he fumble twice against the Riders in week two? Kenzel Doe has been, yeah, fine, I guess, but not great. I don't think the special team, I mean, Sean White's been good. I haven't been overly enamored with, enamored with Grant Shaw's punting, to be honest with you. And the return, here's, here's a question for you, Oilers, Brad, and other people. Are you ready to give McKnight another chance? Are you ready to put Joe McKnight back in the lineup? I'm getting there myself, and it's not trying to run Kenzel Doe down. But I mean, McKnight sat out. You've thought about it. He's had to think about it. He's had to work on some things. They've lost three in a row. Are we ready to put McKnight back in at returner? Oilman says, here's a strategy that seems to be working with Riley. Make the big late hit, take the penalty, and make him constantly look over his shoulder and not have full conversation on what's going on in front of him. Interesting point. I mean, sometimes uh, players will tell you that, usually off the record, that they don't mind taking a uh, late hit on the quarterback early in the game. And, I mean, and look, the of the four 
of the four, I mean, that's 60 yards in penalties, guys, and the Eskimos still couldn't get a touchdown. Four different drives, they had 15 yards handed to them. Maybe there was two on one drive, but you know what I'm saying. Um, the Eskimos had all those chances. Of the four roughing the quarterback penalties, I thought one of them was kind of marginal, but the most blatant one was the Munoz one, where he like leapt right into Riley. You know you can't go high. You can't go helmet to helmet. Whether you like the rule or not as a fan is one thing, but that is the rule, and the players know that, and we all know that when we're watching the game. I mean, Munoz went in there high, and you know he cut Riley up. He had to miss a play. Probably should have missed more to get that bandage up. This texter says, sign your first name if you can, guys. I'd like to know who I'm talking to. This texter says, it's obvious Riley was the target on Saturday. Ottawa didn't seem to care if they got a roughing the passer penalty. They wanted to knock out Riley. Is a progressive penalty a dumb idea where the penalty increases for multiple infractions? My thought is it would cut down on quarterback injuries. You know what? Very interesting idea from that individual. So what he or she is saying is, all right, we're going to say roughing the passer is is 10 yards. Or maybe is only 5 yards, but it's an automatic first down the first time it happens. You'd probably have to make it at least 10. And then the second one's going to be 15, and then the third one's maybe going to be 20, and then if there's a fourth one, it's 20 or 25, or your player gets ejected, or a guy could get ejected for multiple roughing the passers. That That's what this texture is suggesting. Football doesn't really have... You know, rules like that, they've never treated punishment that way. It's pretty much this. I mean, the only thing I can, well, I guess there are kind of variations. You have a five-yard no yards. You have a 15-yard no yards penalty. You know, illegal contact is different from from pass interference. But but this is the exact same foul in the exact same way. Would it create more of a deterrence if it was punished differently? That's an interesting idea. I mean, if you, if, if as a D lineman, Let's say you know your buddies have already committed a couple of roughing the passing penalties, and the next one is going to be worth 20 or 25 yards as opposed to 15. You know, <laughs> and you got a team at midfield, and a penalty could move them to your 30. Are you going to be a little more careful? Is that going to buy the quarterback a little more time? It's an interesting point. You can text 63630. Uh, Oilers Brad texting back. He says, yes, McKnight is more talented. Give him another shot. I, I think I'm there. I think I'm there. And I don't think Kenzel, though, has been bad. And, you know, he had a pretty good return to uh, set up the Eskimos' last drive that went nowhere. But, yeah, I, I'd be ready to put uh, McKnight in. Uh, another text says, uh, Brad says, don't you think the Eskimos should start steal at defensive tackle, get an import on the O-line until Sorensen gets better? You know what, Brad? I, I saw your text earlier. Sorry I didn't get to it then. They have a couple of uh, international offensive linemen on the practice roster, Darius Morris, and uh, where was the other one I found? Oh, sorry. They have Darius Morris on the practice roster, and they have... Joel Figueroa on uh, the active roster. I believe he usually winds up getting scratched for games. Maybe he would get a shot. He's played before, played for Hamilton last year. Or, pardon me, played for Hamilton in 2014. Uh, played six games for Hamilton last season. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I personally, Brad, I think right now they're going to stick with probably the, uh, well, I guess we'll see. We'll see.
Uh, Jared likes the penalty scheme. And Memphis Flash says, hey, Reed, I have a local sports story slash interview you might like. Can I send you an email? Yes, you can. It is inside sports at 630ched.com. I love getting suggestions from listeners. Some of our better interview subjects have been ideas coming from you. All right, appreciate all the texts. You can keep them coming. I'll try to get to as many as I can to 630-630. There's still open line time at 780-496-0063. You can also tell me what you thought about Henry Burris's halftime rant on Saturday night. It's inside sports on Ched. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Now 4-4 between the Blue Jays and Tampa Bay. That one in the top of the fifth. A medal for Canada in women's rugby. The Rugby Sevens at the Olympics in Rio today. They won the bronze medal. 32 or 33-10 over Great Britain. Edmonton's Jen Kish, the captain of that team. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on 6:30. Chat. Another quick football note: Tom Higgins, former Edmonton Eskimos head coach, going to the UFC, joins the Dinos as their defensive coordinator. This portion of Inside Sports is presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. You can visit actionfurnace.ca. Uh, we got a text here. Have you heard anything about Aaron Grimes and how he is doing down in Philadelphia? That is from uh, an unnamed texter. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I've read a little bit about Aaron Grimes, who uh, I, I know going into training camp, I, I remember seeing one headline saying he is a long shot but turning heads. Thanks to the wonder of the internet here, I just called up a Philadelphia Eagles blog from, is this today? Yeah, August 8th. Aaron Grimes had a few pass breakups. He also committed a pretty blatant pass interference penalty in the end zone. Uh, Carroll, who's another player they're referencing, and Brooks mauled Grimes as the former CFL corner acted as a gunner on a punt return during special teams return drills. So that's how they're at least using Aaron Grimes. So what, maybe backup DB special teamer? See if they keep him around for that. Love to have him back. I mean, when you had, I mean, here's the thing. If, if John Ojo were healthy, and he's not, if John Ojo were healthy, there's a guy whose receiver would virtually never get thrown to. What did Ojo have last year? Was it five interceptions, I think? Four of them were in the first half of the season because guys just didn't throw to him. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have Doug on the line. Hello, Doug. Hey, Reed. Yeah, I don't. I just want to touch base, I guess, quickly on the. I mean, everyone's been going going on about how well the defense played. And there's no question that I think they played better on Saturday than we've certainly seen over the last couple of weeks. But I, I still have major question marks about this defense. And I think you look at the two scores, the two touchdowns that were given up. You know, complete confusion, frankly, on on both of them. I think back to a play probably midway through the second quarter. It was second and 18. The Red Blacks were on about their own three-yard line. Chris Williams is wide open, drops the ball. Otherwise, that's an easy first down. Even after the Sherritt touchdown, when you need the defense to make a big stop for you, first pass goes out to the flat, turns into about a 30-yard gain up the sideline. So there are major, major issues with this defense. And, and were they better? Yeah, for sure. But I think they're starting right now from such a low spot that it's tough to it's tough to not improve. So hopefully they can continue that. But 
And you combine that with the fact that obviously their offense has struggled since that first half against Hamilton. It's just led to a team that really does not look like it's in sync and, and in many ways doesn't look like it's competitive at times. I think that's the part that worries me the most. I mean, it's early. Can they turn it around? Yeah, I think they can. But it's uh, it's definitely worrisome the fact that we're six games into the season and, and to me the defense is making the same mistakes right now that we that we saw in the preseason. Well, I'm glad you brought up the two touchdowns because on the first one to Jackson, Lacey dropped into coverage and he, he knew Jackson was going to the middle because then he yep. shaded to the outside. So I'm assuming he thought he had help over the middle and there was no one there. So unless Lacey totally forgot what coverage he was in on that play, there's a breakdown, there's a miscommunication and there's not a recognition of what is happening. And then you're right, on the, on the touchdown that, that, that led to the game being tied... I mean, you got Chris Williams, one of the fastest guys in the league, and J.C. Sherritt is following him to the outside, right? And then yep. Kenny Ladler is coming over late trying to get there, and then Sherritt has to sneak up in case Burris runs. Now, look, I, we all love J.C. Sherritt. He should not be covering Chris Williams one-on-one. So, again, they, they, they seem to get easily confused by motion across the formation. They really do. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I agree. It's that, and, and there's some other strange. And I'm, I mean, I'm not a defensive coordinator, so I'm not by any stretch going to going to sit and be able to talk, you know, extreme technicalities. But I've certainly watched the game long enough to have a sense of what's going on. And again, late in that drive, that the uh, drive where the Red Blacks tied the game, it's again. I think it was second and ten, and the Eskimos sent leave two linebackers at about five yard depth, taking the underneath stuff away. And what does that do? It completely exposes them over the top. So 12 yards downfield, it's an easy pitch and catch for Burris. We've seen that happen all season, too, where the linebackers, in my opinion, are, are basically ineffective. They're not coming. You've talked about it already tonight, the fact that they're not coming. They're not blitzing a whole heck of a lot. But they're not dropping deep enough in coverage to actually take away those intermediate routes that are, that are generally the ones that kill you. And so teams are just quite happily throwing it at 12-yard depth right over top because our, our DBs are generally playing so deep as well that we have no one taking the middle of the field away. So it's just way too easy right now, and I'm not really sure why in that example, a second and 10, why you're worried about you know one, somebody catching the ball at five yards. I mean, you've got to hope that your players can corral uh, and come to the football to make a stop when you need to. Give that stuff up underneath. I'd rather do that than give up 15 yards easily, which is what they've generally been doing. Well, but I mean, but it was also a problem earlier that the linebackers were dropping too deep. Now they were dropping True. twelve to fifteen yards. But you're right; if you drop, you sh- if you're dropping eight to ten, you you, sh- you should be able to run up there and tackle the guy. But right. before he gets the first down, so we'll see. I mean, and here now now here's the situation we're at, Doug, and, and this reminds me of '06 and '07 and maybe even 2013 a little bit. The Eskimos aren't doing well. And a lot of people are saying, oh, well, thank God Montreal's the next game. This should be a win. How many times did we say that when, when, the, when the Eskimos were, had non-playoff years and we said, oh, well, at least it's the last place team from the other division, and they would often lose those games. So this one, uh, I mean, look, I, I don't like the term panic button, but it's, it's critical. And, I mean, yes, two-thirds of the, pleas, two-thirds of the teams make the playoffs. I, I get it. But... Right now, they aren't one of the six best teams in the league. And if they don't win on th- Thursday, maybe they're the ninth best team in the league. Well, that's right. I mean, the, the scary thing for me is the fact that you look at the first third of their season, their schedule relatively wasn't that tough. 
four home games. They played the Riders. They played the Bombers twice. Teams that going into the season, everyone thought the Eskimos were going to be better than Hamilton without their starting quarterback. You know, I, my thought was they'd be four and two with a very outside chance, maybe at five and one, and maybe an outside chance at three and three. I never in a million years thought they'd be two and four, and two and four the way that they've gotten here. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm not sure it is panic button time, but it's. You know their schedule gets much tougher as the as the next six weeks comes along. So, you know you don't win on Thursday night, then yeah, you're in a world of trouble. Doug, always great to have you calling in, buddy. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Reed. That is Doug seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. It is Inside Sports on six thirty. Chad, we will uh, look deeper into some great Canadian Olympic moments. It was quite a weekend as we move along. Inside Sports on Chad. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.